Welcome to Clinical Minds, presented by Metadata. I'm Dan Poppy. This is a podcast about clinical development, how drugs go from a lab to testing in humans to your local pharmacy. Our goal is to share what's happening in the world of clinical research today and the technology and ideas that are transforming it, and why this matters for patients, which is all of us. We want this to be relevant to those developing new drugs, but we also want it to be interesting to everyone else, because interesting is better than not interesting. So let's just jump right in. The global race for COVID-19 treatments is really putting a spotlight on how new drugs and vaccines reach patients. Early reports suggest the COVID-19 vaccine could be available sometime next year, which for some seems incredibly far away, and yet most drugs take 10 years or more to be approved. Today I'm speaking with Alicia Staley, a three-time cancer survivor, a patient advocate, and Metadata's Senior Director of Patient Engagement. Alicia has been in clinical trials herself, but she also thinks a lot about the patient experience in clinical trials and how to make it better. We'll be talking with her about why it takes so long for drugs and vaccines to reach patients, what clinical trials are, and why they're so important. Think of this as Clinical Trials 101. Alicia Staley, thanks so much for joining us. Okay, so researchers discover a promising experimental drug or vaccine. What comes first? Well, typically in the drug development process or vaccine development, you're going to have to move your research through a number of phases, and that can extend over a number of years. But each phase will work on testing some aspect of that drug or vaccine. You know, you'll begin to test to make sure that the drug or vaccine is even safe to introduce to a patient, you know, and then as you move into further stages, you'll start to get into answering questions around what the proper dosing would be. Is it really effective? What kind of side effects are we looking at? Is that the kind of outcome that we want for patients? And then even further in the phasing is, you know, does the drug really work in the way that we want it to? Does it eradicate a virus or does it take care of an illness? And that's typically how researchers try to set up these questions and answer them in all these different phases of a clinical trial. So in the news right now, people are reading about phase one trials for COVID vaccines Mm -hmm. and, and treatments. What happens in a phase one trial? In a phase one trial, you're, you're testing the drug or the vaccine on healthy volunteers that have stepped forward to say that, that they're willing to be participants in clinical research to make sure that this vaccine or medicine that they're developing is safe. There's about 15 to 20 volunteers, participants in, in a trial this in this phase. Sometimes it gets up to about 100, but very small amount people participating in it at phase one trial. And these still last several months, right? Absolutely. This is a very hard process to say, oh, it's only going to take a month or it's only going to take two months. The amount of time that you can remain in each phase is is really unique to the trial and what you're trying to test. You know, everyone's hearing in the news that we could have a a, a vaccine, you know, within months. And I get a little worried when I hear conversations like that because I, I I don't want us to rush through any of these phases for the sake of getting something to market in a very quick way. So we have to make sure that we're balancing the extreme need for a vaccine with safety, scientific method, and these processes that have, have worked so well for so long. And the variation in time is because we need to 
fully understand how the, the drug is working, right? Absolutely. So each phase really has to answer a series of questions. And in phase one, you're, you're asking questions around safety and dosing. And then things go well in phase one, hopefully, and you move on to a phase two trial. What's a, what's a phase two trial? Uh, a phase two trial really continues to assess the, the efficacy of the drug or vaccine and really begins to sort of quantify or document the side effects in, in a larger segment of the population. So you're going to have anywhere from 100 to maybe 500 patients in a phase two study. You're asking questions again, is the drug working? Is it effective? Is it efficient in what we're trying to do here? At this point, you're not checking to see if the drug is actually taking care of the virus. You're really still trying to determine safety and dosing. So we get through a phase two trial. There's a better understanding of a patient's response to treatment, but that's still not enough to bring it to market? That's right. We still need to go through one more phase, and that's phase three. So really in a phase three trial, you're, you're really trying to answer all the questions all at once. Is What's the efficacy? Is this drug safe? Is it effective? And is it helping? So, you know, in the case of something like coronavirus vaccine, you know, making sure that it's hitting all of these markers in an even larger patient population. So in a phase three trial, you're going to get over a thousand patients, you know, anywhere up to maybe five or 6,000 patients, depending on what the researchers feel would be an appropriate number of patients to go through a phase three trial like this. We make it through phase three and then what happens? And this is the point when the, the drug is now really is available for anyone seeking treatment for the coronavirus or looking for the vaccine. This, this would be the phase at which you, you're, that, that actually becomes a reality. Patients are vital to clinical trials happening. Who are these people participating in trials? In the early phase clinical trials, it will be healthy volunteers. You know, as you go through later phases in oncology, you'll have patients that are looking for additional therapy options to help them if they're in a metastatic state. But in general, you hope as many people as possible would participate in research or in a clinical trial. But unfortunately, I think clinical trials are still not looked upon as part of someone's uh, a healthy journey. Clinical trials have always been thought of a, a last resort kind of area for, for some treatment options. So there's so many other therapeutic conditions or disease states that need volunteers. For some reason, we still aren't doing our best in letting patients and, and people know about clinical trial opportunities. And that's, I think, something that we really need to change. Yeah, why aren't people participating in trials and what do you think can be done about it? I think in the US in particular, we've gotten away from building relationships with our healthcare providers. And I think that that has had a very long term effect on how patients think about not only their healthcare, but clinical research. They, clinical research has always been this uh, far away kind of thought for most patients. And we really need to bring clinical research into the everyday conversations that patients and their primary care physicians are having. And you've participated in clinical trials before, right? 
Yes, I have. I've participated in a medical device clinical trial when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2004. And I've participated in a number of follow-up clinical trials over the last few years. And currently, I'm actually on a clinical trial that's tracking COVID-19 every day, basically your your health every day to help you assess your risk for COVID-19. Your professional life is spent thinking about clinical trials. So also your your personal life is (laughs) devoted to thinking about participating in clinical trials. What have you learned about the trial experience uh, as a participant yourself? I think the, the clinical trial industry at large could really make significant progress by looking at how different industries approach building relationships with customers. I think that we don't do enough in the industry to be champions for patient experience and to really try to help patients have a seamless or what I like to call frictionless experience with clinical trials. So we've made the process much harder than it needs to be for patients. And I, I feel like that's unfortunate because in some ways that really affects how many people will enroll in a clinical trial. And I think we need to, as an industry, really begin to address that and come up with ways to build best-in-class patient experiences for patients that are volunteering and taking time out of their life to participate in the clinical research process. Is it getting better, do you think? It's definitely getting better. Absolutely. There's no question about it. And I, I think we're making small incremental change year over year, but I would really, it would be wonderful to see the industry really shine a light on this in in a big way and really begin to work on delivering best-in-class experiences for everyone that are involved in trials. We just, we need to make it easier. We need to reach greater population of potential research participants. And we just have to keep pushing hard to make sure that we're not leaving patients behind. So I'm recording this from my living room. You, I think, are are doing something close to the same. We're clearly in a a different world right now, um, thanks to COVID-19. What is happening to patients in trials right now? It's really a varied experience out there right now. As a breast cancer survivor, I've really gotten involved in a lot of the breast cancer communities. So we've had some patients share some exceptional stories. They're on their late stage breast cancer patients that have their trials are continuing. They they're working with trial teams that have been very communicative with them, reaching out, letting them know about either changes in in the sites where they need to go for infusions. In some cases, unfortunately, I have heard from patients that have showed up at sites for infusions only to find the doors locked, that the site has been temporarily closed or the site's been repurposed as a a COVID intake facility. But unfortunately, those patients that were on those clinical trials were not informed of the change before they made their way there for one of their their site visits. It's just, we're seeing sort of the best and the worst right now. and, And that's to be expected at this time. We're truly in uncharted territory. There is no roadmap. There is no playbook for a pandemic like this. And I think the industry is really learning a lot of lessons about what we should be doing and what we can be doing to better 
care for our patients and our healthcare teams as this unfolds. What advice do you have for patients and researchers and healthcare providers um, as we go forward? Ask as many questions as you need. I think to the patients, just if you are considering a clinical trial and aren't sure about something, ask. Don't be afraid to ask the tough questions. This is, it's your life. It's, it's your, it's your health. And I encourage everybody that wants to participate in clinical research to do so. But the caveat is understand what you're signing up for. I think to the sites and sponsors that might be listening to this, just make sure that you're constantly communicating with your patients and and the people that are involved in your clinical trial and make sure that everybody's always on the same page and that that pandemic notwithstanding, um, I think that's good advice for, for any trial at any time. And that truly goes a long way for creating a better patient experience overall. Alicia Staley, thanks so much for joining us. You've been listening to Clinical Minds. Make sure to sign up wherever you get your podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show, and we'll see you next time. Bye.